Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. All right. So it's good to be here. A long time relationship with Redemption Hill. If you go to marriage retreats, you've seen Kelly, my wife, and I do uh, not karaoke, but uh, <laughs> lip syncing, lip syncing uh, in some unforgettable moments. But it's great to finally get to share the Word of God with you on a, on a Sunday morning. If I'm a little sluggish, it's because uh, TJ and Allie fed us a 12-course meal at Flyover last night, so we, uh, we do appreciate the, uh, the hospitality. It's great to be here. It's an honor. Um, yeah, I gave you a sheet of paper so you should have maybe grabbed one on the way in. Uh, there are some questions on there. I'm going to just run, I'm just going to read those questions this morning. That, that sheet is actually for you to take with you. Uh, you might want to do that in a DNA group or, or in your MC life, uh, because this morning is uh, crucial, I think, as if you haven't noticed, our culture is increasing its ability to run over us a little bit in the church. We're becoming less and less a factor in our culture, and so I think this morning may be really uh, important for your mission work here in uh, this great city of, of Columbia. So the first thing it says on there is, what's the strength of your commitment to the word? I know this is a church of the word, but the question is, what is the strength of your commitment to what you learn here from the word, and how does that apply to your daily life as you uh, deal with this culture that we're going to talk about and describe this morning? Here's a typical conversation you might hear around City on a Hill, the church that I most often pastor at, and or the bridge, the original church that I pastored in, maybe even around Redemption's Hill. A lot of kids here, maybe you have a five-year-old child that makes a request. I know this request probably never happens in any of your house, but the five-year-old child says, I want some ice cream. Here's the response you might hear at one of those churches. The parent will say, well, do you think you deserve some ice cream? And the child will say, well, no, I know that I deserve death, <laughs> but what I would really like is some Cold Stone cream relief. Now, that's a hyperbolic <laughs> statement, obviously, right, about the importance of teaching deeply about the God who actually is. You know, all of us have uh, uh, some concept of the God who actually is. The reason that you can continue to study the Word of God, the reason that you continue to come here under excellent preaching is that you actually learn about the God who actually is. And that begins to replace the God that we make up in our mind so that we can continue uh, kind of living in this culture that runs over us. You know, the one that we make up so that we can continue in some of our sin, even though we need to repent of that. We cling to some poor identities, even though we know we need to get healed from some of those, and we cling to self. I mean, that's the great American way, isn't it? It's kind of interesting that we serve a God that demands complete dependence, and we live in a country that celebrates Independence Day. That's a conflict and one that we have to deal with. But there is no freedom, no fun, no ability to do what God has asked us to do, to love him and love neighbor with all that we have, no actual goodness until we receive Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, and join him on that cross in a, in a death to self. Amen? Anybody in here? One person. That's fantastic. Because <laughs> you start talking about death to self, see, and now all of a sudden, with all the spaces that the culture has begun to run over me get exposed because I have to die to those things. 
But the Bible is more than just the cross and the resurrection. We only know anything about who God is or what he's done or who we are if we believe who he is and what he's done or what we're supposed to do if we've recognized now who we are and if we believe what he's done and who he is. We only know those things because of the whole story of God. That's what we're going to talk about today is the entire story. Here's our big idea for this morning. The, uh, your ability to navigate this depraved generation as a missionary will be vastly improved if you learn to mind the whole counsel of God, the entire story of God. And then what you do is you begin to lay it over your story. God doesn't say, you know, forget who you are, forget your personality, forget the way I've designed you. He doesn't say anything that about your story has been happened to you for no reason whatsoever. He just says, let me lay the goodness of my story over your story. And stop trying to invite me into your story so that I can bless what you think life is all about. And then Jesus will be exalted, and we use this term all the time. This will get up, with the, you, you need to throw the best parties in Columbia. There is a thrive rather than just a survive that comes along with that. So let's thrive rather than just survive. Anybody interested in, in here interested in thriving? We're up to six people. We're rolling here. We're rolling here. So the entire context of today's passage that I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 20, if you have a Bible, you can, you can flip over there. We're just going to be in four verses here quickly, is that Paul is departing the uh, elders of the Ephesian church, and he's assuring them of something. He's assuring them that as he departs, they have everything they need to deal with the powerful culture that they're dealing with. I have, I have an idea, and I'm going to share this with you today. It's just a Tim Gray philosophy. You'll get a couple of those today, that uh, Rome and the U.S., the Western culture that we live in now, are two of the most powerful cultures in the history of mankind in terms of the culture being able to dominate people, dominate the way they live and act and work outside the gospel. So listen closely. I believe that we live in one of those three most powerful anti-gospel cultures in the history. And so Paul's leading a church uh, that's preparing to deal with the, with the Romans, right? Also one of the threes. But I believe that America and its self-centeredness wins number one. You're going to hear a lot of evidence to that as we go along today. Let me read this passage, though. Acts chapter 20, verse 26. Paul says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Uh, by the way, uh, TJ needs to say that as he goes on through his life. Anybody who leads you in the gospel, if you're, a, if you're a parent in the room, you should be able to say that to your children by the time they get, get out of your house where you could say, uh, hey, listen, like we have covered the entire story of God. We have told you everything there is to know, basically that we know right now by the power of the Spirit about Jesus. So I'm releasing you to the responsibility of that to now raise up others in the same, I am innocent of the blood of all for, and here's the key line, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and all, to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. It was 
this place was bought at a pretty serious price, yes? We're up to seven. I now, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. It's not enough. We don't, we, he's gonna have, they're going to have to deal with a powerful culture. There's going to be wolves come in among out of the midst of the church. Well, if you have not noticed, the wolves are here. Our culture, saturated with enlightenment intellectualism and hedonistic materialism, is so overrun it doesn't know it's even underwater. And the main issue is this. The main issue with the church is this, is trust. And we know that to attain good power and not sin-stained power, we have to trust. It's called faith. And I think a tremendous goal for Redemption's Hill, and I'm sure it's been a goal for a while, but maybe the, the Spirit's about to reveal some new ways for you to do this, is that this would be a haven, a place where the city begins to see people, not, not just a God, but people that are trustworthy. But as I listen to TJ talk about trying to attain a building you know, to avoid uh, plywood going over the archway, to avoid having to set up here every morning, which all of us who have church planted, we've, we've been through. I know you're frustrated. I know you need it. I know that it's time. But I reflect on how culture used to want churches to influence their community because they trusted the institution. And what it feels like, what you're going through here, is that this community, this city, no longer trusts the institution. This is a trustworthy place. Jesus has won the souls of this place. It can be trusted, but now it feels like the culture of your city would prefer if all the Christians just went away. That's a hard current now. That's a powerful current of culture. Well, I came to you this morning to help you and encourage you to develop a few strong practices to move against that. First, and I'm sure you do this, become a, a learner and increase the amount of learning of the whole counsel of God. What was Paul talking about when he talked about the whole counsel of Scripture, the whole counsel of God? And that's everything basically from Genesis to Revelation. When I grew up, uh, the only things that were talked about were just the cross and the resurrection because uh, in kind of the dispensational world that was going on in the 60s, all that people worried about was making sure that you understood that you're a sinner and that you needed the cross and the resurrection for eternal life. Now, that wasn't wrong. It was just incomplete. It was correct. Jesus and the cross and the resurrection are incredible, but that's, that's an incomplete package when you're dealing with a culture as powerful as what we're dealing with. And that's why here you ordinarily receive expository uh, verse. You're going through Hebrews right now, right? You're going through Hebrews verse by verse so that you learn the whole counsel of Scripture. You can't skip around to your favorites or you're not just trying to manipulate somebody into a profession of faith, right? So that people may have more to work with in their day-to-day -day lives. You have more to work with in your day-to-day -day lives about dealing with this culture. And then the second practice is find every way possible to see how your story fits into that giant narrative, the single story, and all the individual nuances of that, the whole counsel of what we call the story of God. And what that will do is that be will begin to shape your life and this marriage, this clash of those two things is that you'll start to tell folks about 
things that you're experiencing. Your marriage will get better and, you're, and it will be healed if there's some fragmentation there. Your relationships will get better. Maybe your physical being will get better. Maybe your, just your mental, what I call your internal dialogue will improve. You'll start to t- say, okay, maybe I'm not that person that people tell me that I am, but I'm the person who God tells me that I am. And when that happens, people will notice and they'll begin to trust you and begin to trust the body much larger. And then third, you begin to do those things together more. I think you do those things together a lot now, but you begin to do things together more, and people see you doing them together more. People see you loving better. Didn't, didn't the Bible say something like they will know you by the way they witness your love for each other? Why is all this important? Why do we do that? Well, here you go. Here you go. I'm about to uh, read to you a quote from this book from Michael Goheen called The Drama of Scripture. If you don't like to read, I have the shortened version called The True Story of the Whole World, and I recommend that you pick this up and read it. But this is in the intro to this book. It's going to come up on the screen for you. It's also on your sheet of paper if you'd like to read along. Many of us have read the Bible as if it were merely a mosaic of little bits, what I'm going to call ping pong balls today, theological bits. Moral bits, historical critical bits, sermon bits, devotional bits. Listen closely, but when we read the Bible in such a fragmented way, we ignore its divine author's intention to shape our lives through its story. All human communities live out of some story that provides a context for understanding the meaning of history and gives shape and direction to their lives. If we allow the Bible to become fragmented, it is in danger of being absorbed into whatever other story is shaping our culture, and it will thus cease to shape our lives as it should. Idolatry has twisted the dominant cultural story of the secular Western world. If as believers we allow this story rather than the Bible to become the foundation of our thought and action, then our lives will manifest not the truths of Scripture, but the lies of an idolatrous culture. And I underline, underline this last line for you because you need to spend some time with this at home. Hence, the unity of Scripture is no minor matter. A fragmented Bible may actually produce theologically orthodox. In other words, I can tell you what the Bible says. I can tell you all the truths about Jesus. Theologically orthodox. Morally upright. I can, be, I can actually improve to be a, a good person, a good neighbor. Warmly pious idol worshipers. Now, Michael Goheen wrote that, and the uh, publishers said, you can't, you can't print that. We want you to cut that line out, the last line, the underlined line. Why did, they, why did they want him to cut that line out? Because an insulted evangelical Christian won't buy a book with that much truth in it. Basically is what happened. With that much true statement, it just simply steps on too many golden calves. And I hope that right now you're looking at it going, is that me? Or is that a little bit me? Uh, My purpose here is not to actually run you into some kind of depression this morning, but I would like for you to deeply consider that as you consider the day. Here's what I'd like for you to do as we figure that out, is I'd like you to visualize a river. I live over uh, on the Mississippi River, And uh, every month I go to a a little Catholic 
uh, out of the way place up on the bluffs of the Mississippi River. And, I, and I'm up about 200 feet. I just go there to pray and spend some time isolated. I give Kelly a little time away from me because that's a valuable thing for her. And, and so, so, so as, as from the height that I look at down at the river there, this current that if you fall into this river will instantly, within seconds, take you eight miles down and kill you. You're just like instantly dead if you fall into this river. But from 200 feet up, it looks calm. And it doesn't look like a big deal. It looks like some place you would actually like to be right there where I'm at at that, at that center in uh, Peely. Now, that should uh, wake us up here a little bit because what I'm about to compare is our culture full of material and independence and social media and self as a river of culture that looks like it's okay. But if you fall into it, you end up eight miles down the river dead in a matter of some period of time. And here's what I want to say is, as it runs over people, they have no idea that it's actually even running over them. As it runs over us as the church, it actually, we actually have no idea that it's running over us. Here's what Michael Goheen just described for you. Here's been our response to that for the last 100 years. Taking the bits a little devotional reading in the morning and not deeply asking the Spirit of God to come change me through whatever that Word of God said where it actually lasts longer than the few seconds of the devotional bit into this invites the Holy Spirit of the living God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to change me, to radically change everything about me out of this culture into something that looks like God It only lasts a few seconds unless the power of the whole story begins to become our dominant story. And, but throwing those bits in here is like, is like taking ping pong balls from the bluffs where I do my prayer life, little ping pong balls, and throwing them into that river. Not much effect, not much stopping of the effect. Now, when I was growing up, maybe some of you grew up in a legalistic culture like this. The solution to the river of culture was to build a dam. Anybody grow up in a bomb shelter culture? And you were told, whatever you, wanna, whatever you do, do not involve yourself with the river of culture. Whatever you do, stay away from it. Build what we call a bomb shelter, build a dam so that the, the water has to go some other d direction around. There's two problems with that. One is if you are in, a in this culture and never loving anybody that's not in a church culture, you begin to stink. Second problem with it is God has asked us to enter the river of culture. They yelled at Jesus for, they yelled at Jesus for leaving the bomb shelter, you remember? Why are you hanging out with sinners and prostitutes? And so what God asks us to do by loving our neighbor, what God asks us to do on the mission of God is to not build a bomb shelter, but to take our family and step right back into the river of culture. How do we do that and not get swept away? I'm glad you ask. I'm glad you ask. The problem with this is that we demean the gospel. We demean the power of the spirit of God by saying, I can't do that. 
Well, the whole counsel of Scripture, everything about the Bible, which is all about the glory, the grandeur, and the love of Jesus Christ, is the only engine. Listen to me. If nothing else, hear this. It's the only engine that's strong enough to be able to step back in there and not get swept away. How demeaning is it to... To the, to the Lord, the king of all, the one who created, he spoke and everything leapt into existence to say, you're not strong enough for me to step back in here and not get swept away with it. He is, and we can. And it allows us not only to survive the current, but actually to thrive in it in a, in a way that is way reward, more rewarding than anything that's over here. More valuable, more matter, and it will matter for all of eternity. And so this, the goal is not to fit his story into yours, but to overlay God's story over yours. There's a radical difference. But we need to find Jesus in it all because he is all. All right, so let's go. Let's, let's dig into six acts of the story. That's one story. Anybody do the Bible project in here? The Bible project people? What do they say? One unified story, anybody know, that leads to Jesus. One unified story that leads to Jesus. I'm going to do this with six symbols. Here we go. First one is creation. A down arrow. If you come around City on a Hill, you'll see a bunch of radical cats with this tattooed. <laughs> They've got these symbols tattooed just to remind them of what whack jobs they really are. All right. First one's a down arrow. God came down in creation, right? Everything was void. It was, it was chaos. What does God do? What do we need to analyze about creation? God is a God who takes chaos and puts it into order. A bunch of you in this room, you are like them, complete whack jobs. God comes in and begins to take your chaos and put it into order. That's your, that's your story if you're a Christian in the room. And he did that originally. Jesus spoke. And here's what's important. They created, the Trinity created human beings in their image as a way to reveal their glory. And what did they call them? Very good. Everything else was good. Called humans very good. Why is that important? Well, we study in the whole council of Scripture the idea that we were originally without sin very good so that now you can recognize sitting in this room today if you have Put your faith and trust in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. What are you? You are very good. That is now your identity. You are completely holy. I hope, none of, I hope this does not happen. If one of you kicks off dead in this floor right now, I'm not worried about you because your holiness by the blood of Jesus, you're having a better day than the rest of us because you are very good. It's your fresh identity now, most gospel conversations start with Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection. That's not wrong, but people need to know the identity that the cross brings them to. So I gave you some whole council questions there. What if, as we step back into culture, as we move back in here, broken people were loved by very good disciples of Jesus? In other words, you're, you're seeing yourself as something that with humility you would like for them to be. They're broken around you. Your neighbors, you know that neighbor, that, you know that neighbor that everything about them keeps you awake? You would like for them to become very good so that they stop banging their trash cans at 4 a.m., right? Or so whatever, 
<laughs> you know, they're, they're, stuck in the, they're stuck in the 70s and Led Zeppelin's rolling out all hours of the night, right? So whatever that is. And then who might really benefit from the whole council of creation being a major mission conversation? How many people do you know? This is, this is a really serious question. If you have friends that are not yet believers, how many people do you know that the majority of the day they feel insecure? They might be arrogant, but behind the arrogance is insecurity. We all have folks like that in our life. Well, uh, City on a Hill, the church that I'm around most of the time, um, it's a church of, basically made of nerds. They all play Dungeons and Dragons, right? I mean, like, they're trying to find their identity in all kinds of ways, nerds, and all of a sudden now they're the cool people. Jesus made them the cool people. They are cool in Christ. I tell them that all the time. Like you never thought much of yourself. You, I, you, I listen to, the only reason I say that, I listen to them talk. They, they didn't think very highly of themselves, but they know now that Jesus thinks really highly of them. Everybody tracking with that? It's good stuff. We know that we, we do that because we teach the whole council of script. We teach creation, the symbol of creation. That's all in there. But in Genesis 3, rebellion comes up. And in Genesis 3, we discover that we, we don't call it the fall. We call it the rebellion because we did not fall into shattering the world. Kelly slipped in the shower this morning. Thank goodness she didn't fall all the way down. But she, that was an accident. We didn't fall into destroying the world. It was an outright, unadulterated, completely adulterated rebellion <laughs> against the holiness of God. Right? It's like the famous cross chart. We see our sin, and we see Jesus, and that makes the, the cross bigger. If you've studied the cross chart here, I'm sure you have. We have a full picture of our sinful re rebellion. And so our love, our, our gratitude, our worship, our trajectory towards mission, that begins to skyrocket when we study rebellion. The cross gets bigger. When I read the Old Testament, I'm never, so here's what I do. I, I, I read the Old Testament and I think, okay, before Jesus and occasionally now, I'm the bad guys in this story. Like, do you read the Old Testament and go, I'm the Assyrian. I'm the, I'm the people that were trying to kill David. I'm the Babylonians. Well, you were. It's okay just to say that, right? It's okay. We, that's, who, that's who we are. So the, there's questions on the sheet for you. How do, we need, how do we view our need and appreciate for Jesus differently when we realize we were born into a full rebellion against the holiness of God? Ephesians 2 says that, says that we are, are uh, captivated by Satan. We're sons of Satan until we meet Jesus. We're followers of Satan, Satan worshipers, if you will. How, how, how much more is my gratitude when I realize I've been rescued out of that than just well, I would like to invite you to come and believe in Jesus because you're a sinner, right? No, I'm in full rebellion. I was in full rebellion. I'm not just a subtle, occasional sinner. Third symbol, promise. So rebellion's an X. Promise is an arrow forward. So this is everything from Genesis 3.15, the, the promise of the Messiah to come, the first uh, the first message that says, he's coming. 
There's going to be one come that's, you know, Satan's going to cut his heel, but he's going to crush Satan's head. And there's going to be complete victory someday. And the promises begin to roll all the way through the book of Malachi as a pointer to the arrival of the hero. It's a high-meaning section. I don't know how many of you love the Old Testament, but we don't love the Old Testament for if you're a history nerd, you know, like you're kind of like those Dungeons and Dragons. Maybe you're a history nerd or, or, or you're... Uh, you, you just, you like, re, you know, it kind of feels like Game of Thrones. I know you won't admit to watching Game of Thrones, but maybe it's kind of like Game of Thrones for you when they start just kind of sleeping with everybody and killing everybody. And, and we go, uh, yeah, that's not why we need to love it. We need to love it because we actually find Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, everywhere in the Old Testament throughout the promise of, yes. This is who we are without Jesus, full Game of Thrones. But there's a day coming, and he's coming, and that will not be so. And we actually find ourselves like on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, where Jesus himself comes up and walks along with a couple of cats and goes, hey, let me tell you all about that section from, from Genesis 3.15 to Malachi. Let me show you everywhere. I went. Can you imagine walking along that thing and having him do the Old Testament Bible study with you? And just going like, hey, yeah, you might have missed this, and this is, this is about me. And Oh, yeah, you might have missed this, and this is about me. And this is about me, and this is, this is about me. And all of a sudden, we understand the depths of our human depravity and the, and the hope that's coming in the future. And we begin to deeply mine the Old Testament for its importance to the gospel in everyday life. Instead of just reading it as good advice or law, we begin to learn and let the Spirit teach us about its effect, its factor on us in everyday life and being able to step back into a depraved culture as well. There's nothing we can, we can encounter that's not been previously encountered by men and women, right? We all think that I'm encountering something new. And we find out as we read that it's always been hard. It's always been difficult. Men and women at one time were so evil that God wiped out the earth with salvation for just a few. And in this section of, of Scripture, the promise, we see that God raised dead people to life and promised to do the same through the Messiah, the hero of the story. And so we all of a sudden see ourselves, instead of just saved people, as people who were dead in our trespasses and sins and now alive. Yes? So your question's for this. How does understanding the depth of human evil in all mankind and God's promise of hope to the faithful bring more than ping pong balls to this? How does it change, how does it change the power and the, and the ability to walk into this when I think all of human history is screaming that we can do this? All of human history is screaming that this can happen. Second question, does your story reveal the human depravity shown in the Old Testament to be real? Do you see yourself at one time as the Babylonian, the Assyrian, or do you see yourself as the good guys? And then how can we show people far from God that Western culture is rooted vastly more in Babylon than in the New Jerusalem? You might get into fights over that in your DNA, by the way. Western culture is way more Babylon than it is in New Jerusalem. Next symbol is redemption. This is where we spend most of our focus over the years. Yes. 
Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up, the cross and the resurrection. But maybe the most important things we run into in Matthew, Mark, Mark, Luke, and John is in the whole council teachings, and the most cheated aspect is the reliance of Jesus on the power of the Holy Spirit to live a sinless life. His sinless life is crucial for you here. His sinless life is crucial for us here. See, people focus uh, so much for so long on the cross and the resurrection being for eternal life. That's not wrong, but it's incomplete. They forgot about how Jesus lived his sinless life to qualify to go to that cross. And what power raised him from the dead? And, and when we are assured with this, listen to me now, we, when we're assured of those things, we see that it was the Holy Spirit that made him obedient to the commands of the law. And then when we receive him, we get him. We get that. How can we step back here and not get caught up with the river of culture? We've underestimated the power of what God gives us. When he, what, is the, what does the whole New Testament say? It says we're in Christ. What does that mean? That means I'm uni- unified with him. I'm one with him. I get all of him. I get not just his death and his resurrection for my eternity. Right now, today, I get his righteousness. I get his goodness. You get the same. We get his life. There's a qualifier to that as long as we don't do the normal human thing and choose our own way, choose our own story, choose our own destiny, desire to be our own God. That's how we got in this problem to begin with, right? See, his humble submission to the Father and to the Spirit brought the whole gospel to earth. And so it is with you. Hey, Redemption's Hill, so it is with you. As you sit here today, if you're a blood-bought believer in Jesus, you have his righteousness. You have his power. You actually walk with his authority. And we're going to doubt that we can walk back into the river of culture, engage the river of culture, and not let the culture sweep us away. I think we can. But there's no winning the battle of the raging river without death to self. It's a death. What did Jesus do? He says, Okay, Father, I will submit. I will move into the plan. I will condescend to becoming born as a baby, walking sinless, going to a cross. And just like him, we begin to uh, submit in that way. Whatever God says, that goes. And the Spirit shows up in power. Listen to me. The Spirit shows up in power when the lukewarm goes away. When the lukewarm goes away, he shows up in power. It's more than ping pong balls. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So my question for you, this is not on the sheet, do you believe that you have access to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead? Do I live my life in that kind of confidence in what we've been asked to do by that? So questions for that on your sheet. What does it do to your soul, your heart, your mind to know that all that is Jesus is yours because of his poured out blood, his death, and his resurrection. And when it is the power that raised Jesus from the dead encountering the river of culture, does some earthly victory seem more possible? And then a big question for you when you sit down together, what might that look like? In detail, where might we go in that power to change the city, to earn the trust of this city? Where might we go? 
What has to change so that we can get that done? I tell folks this, that, you know, grace is free. Yes, anybody in here? Grace is free. Isn't that wonderful? But it's costly. It costs Jesus his life to give it to us, and it costs us ours in response. Are we ready for that? There's no power until we're ready for that. It cost us. He commands in both uh, Romans 12 and Hebrews 13 to join him spiritually on a cross in a death to self. Why? So that we may live in him. Live in him. When I preach at uh, City on a Hill, uh, the uh, lighter-hued people, their amen is just a nod. So if you have felt like you kind of wanted to agree with something today, just kind of toss that one at me. I'm used to it. We call it the Jefferson County nod. In a black church, that's a screaming amen. The fifth symbol, now and not yet. The fifth symbol is now and not yet. Somehow, the kingdom has completely arrived. The victory's been completely won, but it doesn't always feel like it, huh? It doesn't always feel like it. And somehow, this era in time is the one that we live in, and it's the most under-discipled. It's the one that we actually get figured out the least, biblically. It's weird. Somehow Jesus brought his kingdom to earth, defeated sin, Satan, hell at the cross, and, and yet his appearance and judgment against those things has not completely come to pass, right? So it's now and not yet. And so we live in tenuous times. We live in times that are hard to explain to people sometimes, right? A former attender at COA this week, uh, a, grand, a grandmother and a grandfather, a grandfather lost a 10-year-old grandson in a, in a side-by-side uh, ATV accident. Now, now, the first thing we do when we go sit with them is we just shut up and sit for a minute. But then they're going to have some questions at some point here, right? Like this Jesus that you talked about who has conquered sin and saying, it doesn't feel like he's conquered death today. That's legit, isn't it? Angry. And we all have those questions, and I don't have all the complete answers to that. That's, that's hard to hear, but here's what I do know today is, believe it, you're safe. Because if you're something mechanical, if yours turns over today and it takes you, you're safe. <laughs> right? And we can put our confidence in, in that. But we have to disciple people. Here's what, here, listen to me closely. We have to disciple people to handle the times that the river gets powerful, and it feels like it's choking us. We have to teach people to handle that with faith. Not with all of our questions answered, but just with, with faith, with the, what the Bible calls perseverance, right? I mean, like, we just persevere through things like that, and we've got to disciple that well because we're, we're not at the last symbol yet. We're in the fifth symbol. It's the now and not yet, and I, w- I wish... We, we, can we just like start screaming, come Lord Jesus in here? Can we get a bunch of white people to just start screaming, come Lord Jesus in this place? Like, let's go to the sixth one, but we're not there yet. He's decided he wants to save a few more of your whack job friends. And so we're not there yet. So our question's on your sheet there. Are you ready for God to grow you into Christ-likeness with whatever means necessary? That You probably need to spend like a whole... A whole DNA there. Because what, what God does in his 
economy is he comes and he, and he says, uh, hey, um, I'm going to grow you to look like me, but I'm going to do it with some of the not yet. Are you okay with that? Are you still with me? And I'm praying that this is a, a body of believers here in Columbia that just goes, okay, we're not looking forward to whatever you do that with, but we're ready for it. We're not going anywhere. You're like Simon Peter. He said, are you guys not going to leave me either? And he goes, yeah, where else are we going to go, man? Where else are we going to go? You have the words of, it, of, of all everything, right? Next question, if so, what would have to change in the way your story intersects with the God who actually is? Some of us just kind of recreate God in our minds so we can live. And what I'm asking you to do today is let it intersect with the God who is. Both the one who is completely victorious and is still allowing the not yet to happen around us, okay? Because at some point I have to tell those folks that that little boy was, for some reason, the sovereign God of all the universe allowed that to happen. He didn't want it to happen. He's not evil, but he allowed that to happen. I have to explain. We have to have that conversation at some point maybe, right? I probably have to have it with my wife on the way home because she's struggling. That's a dear friend of hers that lost his child. But then we get to the good one, last symbol restoration. If you notice, it's a down arrow. God comes down again. He comes down in purity and holiness in the first one and takes chaos and puts it in order, and he does exactly the same thing in the last one. He comes down and he takes chaos and puts it into complete and perfect order. You know, it's kind of interesting. I recently got to be a part of preaching the book of Revelation at two, two really stout biblical churches. And what we discovered was that the, that, that the book was vastly more about Christ's ability to handle the now and not yet because he's writing to a bunch of people who are in the middle of watching a bunch of their friends get slaughtered and getting thrown into prison and all kinds of persecution. And he has to say, hey, listen, like Jesus is magnificent enough for it to be worth it. That's the whole book of Revelation is you're in the not yet and you're suffering and I'm just reminding you, let me show you all these pictures of this Jesus who is enough and worthy. And the book's a little bit then about the restoration of all things. But oh, is that valuable. Oh, oh is that valuable. So Jesus, let me tell you how much Jesus loves you. If you're paying any attention at all, he... He loves you so much that in your current context is he's giving you glimpses of this beautiful city. Heard a story of a gentleman talking about his birthday was yesterday, and the best thing about his birthday is he got to spend his birthday with his wife. First of all, that's just great, right? I mean, like, he's either like the best husband on the earth or a liar. No, I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I've got all kinds of jokes right now, but I might not ever be asked, asked back. But anyway, and I thought, why, why did he enjoy that day so much? And it's because God yesterday gifted him with a day with glimpses of the beautiful city. He gives, it to, he gives these to us all the time. If you're an early riser like me, like, like you just get up and you go, 
man, this cool of the day here outside with this coffee. Anybody think coffee's going to be in the beautiful city, by the way? Anybody with me? Oh, that got all kinds of... <laughs> Wait a minute. Whoa, that got more than the nod. Whoa. Coffee outside on a cool summer morning, man. Like, that's a glimpse of the beautiful city. I mean, you're right now in your mind, just times with your kids. I, I have two rather fresh grandchildren. Like, I got this three-year-old and this one-month-old, and they were fighting over some space on me a couple of days ago. If you want to come see Kelly, she'll show you pictures of this. I mean, that was like glimpses of the beautiful city, right? I mean, like, I, I, I wanted to, like, work on this. If this sermon's not very good, it's because I spent time with the granddaughters. And so, so <clears throat> but it was worth it because it was a glimpse of the beautiful city. So I'm hoping right now in your mind, you're like going like, here's some things that roll out for me that I need to pay more attention to and have gratitude for because when people start seeing you enjoying the glimpses of the beautiful city, they can't wait for you to move back into the river of culture. Like come share the glimpses of the beautiful city with me. Come share that. Because they're not anti-Jesus, they're just anti-bad church. Can we get that on the table? And thank God you're in a good one. But we get those glimpses. But that's all still now and not yet, right? I'm still stuck in the fifth one. Let's go to the sixth one as we wrap up here. There's a day. Right? Anybody in here excited about it? There's a day? There's a day, church. The capital D day, right? He's coming back to restore all things. There will be no more cancer. Anybody in here been affected? There will be no more of that. There will be no autoimmunes. Anybody in pain today because of something attacking your body that is a remnant of the curse? There's no more betrayals. There's no more death. There's no more ATVs turnover. There's no more tears. There's no more 10-year-olds die. Someday there's just Jesus and his people and joy unencumbered. I hope you're visualizing what that might look like. We don't know, but it has to be good, huh? The down arrow, the down arrow, setting your eyes on daily on the down arrow will make people want what you have. So my question is, as you visualize it, are you grateful? Do you tell people about your glimpses? Do you celebrate them in your mission community life? Like when you get together with your mission community, you need to just go like, hey, man, can we, can we just talk about every way that we experience what the beautiful city might be like today in the last week or two? So let me summarize this for you. And then the band's going to come up and do a whole lot better job than me. We submit to the whole council. Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you to not pick your favorites. Make sure the people understand the whole council because this thing otherwise will run over you. It's powerful. It's the most powerful force outside of Jesus on the earth. And when we submit to that, we're actually submitting to Jesus. 
actually submitting to Christ. And we're not, here's what we're not doing. We're not just tossing religious feel-better ping-pong balls. You got to understand that most of the ways you, let me, can I just say this? Most of the ways that you've been discipled in, in the past, not here, in the past, were ping-pong balls in the river of culture. It is time to let the Holy Spirit teach you a way of being with his word, with his counsel, with his way of life that can handle this. The first decision you make is, do, am I ready to leave the river of culture? Am I ready to repent of the river of culture? And then the second question is, am I ready to re-engage it in the holiness of Jesus? But here's what you get when you stop tossing ping pong balls. You get 24-7 presence of Christ. In your soul right now, if that just sounded like good news to you, you're in great shape. Just 24-7 presence of your Lord, your Savior, your King. That's what you get. If I'm messing around with the river of culture, I don't, I'm, he's still with me, but I don't sense his full presence. Everybody tracking with that? That's like the best discipleship news you can, advice you can ever get. Repenting of culture says, I'm now seeing that which Jesus is gifting me with. Second, we stop biting and devouring each other. That'd be good news for the church, right? People might want to be a part of an institution that doesn't bite and devour itself. And thirdly, we get the fruit of the Spirit, which makes us great missionaries. When, <laughs> when uh, people who are swamped and run over in the river of culture run into people that are peaceful and joyful, and gentle, and kind, and faithful, and full of self-control, you'll start getting some questions like, can I get some of whatever you got? Because as I encounter culture, that's not the way I feel. Some of your folks here have done conquering addiction with me, and that's the whole message. Like, stop using things to, stop using things to numb that which God wants to heal. And he will. I'm going to call the band up and, and, uh, and we're going to respond to this. But I want to, I want to just say, say this to you. Paul's given us the exhortation to make sure we focus on the whole counsel of Scripture. And as Paul says it, it let's recognize it's straight from the Holy Spirit, straight from God. And what that does is that it gets us to the power of the resurrection. The entire story. Christ, the Holy Spirit, the sovereignty of God all kind of collide together for us. Okay? Can I pray that for you? And then we'll respond in song. Father, here's what I our request for you today. In the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, could you help us to stop throwing ping pong balls at something that's swamping not only our culture but us? Can we stop throwing bits? Stop playing around with little spiritual disciplines that we might find effective for a minute. And we know that the word never comes back void, so they're still valuable, but they're not strong enough by themselves to deal with that which is trying to overrun us. And so can you, can you bring all of you, all your story to bear, all your goodness to bear, all that Christ is to bear? We invite you to come and change us. We take communion today, like <laughs> that's why he died that's why he was resurrected to give us him. And so uh, can we see that Christ is all? 
And in him is all that we need. Thanks for this opportunity, God. This has been good. Amen.